All right. Well, hey, welcome to uh, Voice Church. Uh, you know, so this week we were watching the weather, and you may not realize this, but we uh, are a portable church, so we don't have a building. Uh, we launched two years ago, and we meet outside, as you can tell. And so this week we were, we were watching the weather. People were texting, have you seen the weather for Saturday? And it was like a 90% chance of rain, which you know here, 90% chance of rain, it, it, it's definitely going to rain, and it's not going to be pretty. So, you know, it's been Stormwatch 2020 uh, today. And it's like 59 degrees and stormy. So we're going, what are we going to do? So we thought about it. And I talked to some of my friends that are portable in the area or don't ha aren't in their buildings uh, that pastor. And some of them were canceling. Some of them were pre-recording services and is premiering videos on YouTube and Facebook. And, you know, we, talk we talked about it as a leadership team. And we decided, you know what, maybe, maybe that the, the stormy weather right now is actually a, ref a good reflection, a good metaphor of kind of the heart of our nation right now because you know hear me out when, when it's stormy uh, outside when it's cold it's it's gloomy it's chilly when you hear it rain outside and it's chilly you kind of want to eat comfort food right and i don't know about you but this past week the heart of our nation the kind of the tone of our nation it's been a little chilly it's been a little stormy a little gloomy right it's kind of want to made you eat comfort food i'm guessing ice cream sales uh were up this week right along with other things like uh you can use your imagination of different uh, things that were on sale. Uh, but, man, we just thought, you know, let's embrace it. Let's embrace it. So even while we were, were setting up and that, uh, that kind of thing, there were uh, storms and rain, and we had to, like, move equipment because water was dumping on different parts of the equipment. We just thought, you know, let's, let's just embrace it. Let's have church in the middle of a storm. And the reason why we want to have church in the middle of a storm is because we feel like we're called to be the church. We're called to be the church in the middle of a storm. You're called to be the church in the middle of a storm. And so here's the thing. There's nothing more fun um, than talking about politics, right? Like you, there's no way to turn up a party. There's no way to really make it start feeling great at Thanksgiving dinner, but to, but to bring up politics, right? So that's what we're going to do today. But we're going to bring it at a much higher level. Because I don't know if you realize this. I don't, I don't know if you've been in a cave or uh, something, but there was an election this week. And votes are still being counted. Who knows, maybe by the time you watch this, it's, it's a done deal. But votes are still being counted. And everyone's being real cordial and kind and patient about it uh, to the other side, right? Especially Christians. Uh, not really. That's why we're going to talk about this. So 1 Peter 5, 6 says this. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourselves, Right? Put yourselves lower. It says lower yourselves to come underneath the influence of God instead of the influence of culture. And here's the hard thing is when you're under the influence of something, you don't always realize you're under the influence of something. Here's how you can define it. If you're under the, under the influence uh, means that something on the outside of you is changing what comes from the inside of you. Let me say that again. Under the influence means that something on the outside of you is changing what comes from the inside of you. Right? And again, uh, well, a crazy thing about being under the influence is you don't always realize that you're under the influence. Right? How many times have you been around someone who has had a, a couple too many to drink and they think they're fine and everyone in the room knows that they're not? When you're under the influence of, let's say, alcohol, some of this may ring true for her today. When you're under the influence of alcohol, it influences the way you think. When you're under the influence of alcohol, you, it changes, it influences the way you think. You think things you normally wouldn't think, right? 
I'm sure you have stories to back that up. When you're under the influence of alcohol, it, it, it influences you to say things you normally wouldn't say. Right? How many times have, have you heard situations where someone texted or said something and the next day they're like, I'm so sorry I said that. I'm so sorry I said it that way. I had a few too many. Right? When you're under the influence of alcohol, it influences who you think is attractive. Right? Maybe you can call them beer goggles, but people that wouldn't normally be attracted, attractive are attractive. Or maybe someone was attracted to you when they normally wouldn't be. Right? And actually, when Natalie and I started dating, um, you may not realize this, Natalie was like prom queen, was like it girl at her school, and I very much, I mean, you can see me, I very much was not. And there were actually quite a few people going, is Natalie okay? Why? Legitimately asking me, why is she dating you? And I can tell you, it wasn't under the influence of alcohol. She didn't drink. It was... She was just following God's voice, man. But so when, sometimes when you're under the influence of alcohol, it influences you to think that someone is attractive when they may not be as attractive when you are not under the influence. When you're under the influence of alcohol, it influences you uh, influences you to love people that you may not love before. How many times have you heard uh, people, guys that were complete strangers a few hours earlier now are like, I love you, man, right? Because of the influence. When you're under the influence of alcohol, sometimes it lowers your guard. You're more vulnerable to do stupid things that you normally wouldn't do. But the thing is, when you're under the influence, you're not always aware that you're under the influence. And that's a dangerous thing. So here's my question for us in the middle of all this. What if we're so intoxicated on this culture? Maybe we're so under the influence of this culture that we don't realize that we're under the influence of this culture. If I were to say on a scale from one to 10, one being under the influence of God and 10 being under the, fully under the influence of culture, where would you rate yourself? One fully under the influence of God, 10 fully under the influence of culture. How would you rate where you are at? Maybe, maybe, just want to put it out there. Maybe we're so under the influence of culture that we don't realize how far we've drifted from God's way of doing things. Just want to put it out there. So First Peter says, humble yourselves. Lay down your pride. Lay down your arrogance. Be teachable. Put yourself in a position of learning. You don't know everything. Maybe just for a second, consider that maybe what you believe may not be all the way true. Maybe you're under the influence. You don't even realize you need to humble yourselves under God's influence, under God's hand. Some of you guys have seen uh, the heart-to-heart -heart video we put out this week. And every Thursday, we, we're putting out a video, just, just some stuff from our heart to your heart as, you know, in light of what's going on that week. And this week, we actually took a portion of the teaching today. Um, and really, I talked about the fact that the, the word I would use to describe my heart right now this week, uh, especially on Thursday, is this word grieved. Grieved. Um, not because of the actions of politicians. Uh, they're going to do what they do. I'm grieved because of the actions of my Christian brothers and sisters. Because the actions and the tone and the posture of those that call themselves Christ followers. And it puts me in a really tough place as a pastor and as a Christian because I love diversity. I love differences. I love when someone says, I grew up eating this food. And this person's like, I grew up this way. I grew up on this side of the pond and I grew up believing this. And we can talk about the beauty in diversity. See, people talk about how they want a multi-ethnic church. They want a diverse church. 
But I think most people don't. Because what that looks like is you, a lot of times you're going to find yourself sitting across a table from someone that disagrees with you, that sees the world differently than you. And you got to figure out how do we comport ourselves in a way with grace and love and humility and teachability so that what is disagreement, what is differences, doesn't become division. It doesn't have to be. There can be beauty in the middle of diversity. There can be unity in the middle of diversity. But it puts me in a really tough spot because on one side, I'm like, yeah, we're all part of this one big Jesus family. But on the other side, I'm like, ah, that person's actions, that person's Facebook post, that person's tone of their life, their combative spirit, their unteachability, if that's even a word, <laughs> that is not like Jesus. And I'm not like them. And so how I kind of comport it to, to my close friends is, um, yeah, we're all part of one big Jesus family, but we got some weird cousins too. And maybe I'm a weird cousin to you. But guys, can I be honest? <sighs> I've seen too many Christians that we've been arrogant instead of teachable. We've been uh, scared. We've been living in fear instead of trusting God. We've been dismissive of other people and their beliefs instead of being curious. And I think the part that's the hardest for me to really wrestle with is we've put being American above being Christian. Does being American matter? Yeah, man. I love our country. Born and raised. And obviously this is the best country in the world. And the Chicagoland area is God's favorite uh, sports teams in the world. I mean, everyone knows this. It's WWJD, right? But we put being American above being Christian. That you know what? If America ceases to exist, God still reigns. Before America existed as we know it today, God still reigns. So we've put being American above being Christians. And look, I know when I say stuff like this, there's going to be some of my friends that feel like I'm talking too much about this stuff. And there's going to be some of my friends that want me not to talk at all about this stuff. Some of my friends are, are pretty much social activists, and I'm not a social activist. And I know some of you guys are that are more lean that way are going, well, pastors should be social activists. I, I disagree. I disagree. I feel like my role as a pastor is to live at the intersection of heaven and earth, to bring God's kingdom here on earth, to live with one foot in, in heaven in a sense and one foot on earth in a sense. And what is, it, what is it like to live at that intersection and the mystery of that intersection? And ultimately, man, my life goal is to lead people into living like Jesus, to living like Jesus. That's my life Goal. That's what I want to see happen. I, do I want people far from faith to become Christians? Absolutely. But I think the church for too long has tried to force people that never claim to be Christians to act like Christians. Jesus never did that. So if you don't call yourself a Christian today, this sermon really isn't for you. But can you not before you like kick off of this video, just listen into our little family meeting because this is for those that call themselves Christians. I'm going to challenge you to live as if that is actually true. Because honestly, right now, friends, Christians, we don't look like him. We're not acting like him. If we were to ask culture, name some adjectives to describe Christians, describe church people, it wouldn't be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And that's a problem, guys, because Galatians says that that is the evidence 
of God working in someone's life. That is the fruit of God's spirit. So what we see in scripture is Jesus was never obsessed over who was in power on earth. Jesus never was. He never dishonored those in power. He would say things like, man, that coin, whose name, whose, whose face is on it? Caesar's? Well, give Caesar what's due Caesar's, but give God what's due God's. What he's saying is, yeah, give your finances, give your taxes to God. If you owe that, or to Caesar. If you owe taxes to Caesar, give taxes to Caesar. But you know what? You're the image of God. So give God your heart. Because that's the primary thing. So Jesus never obsessed over who was in power. You know what? His disciples didn't either. You know what? The early leaders of the church didn't either. They honored the platform of president or Caesar or head Pharisee or whatever the situation was. They honored the platform of the leader, but they never turned the platform into a pedestal. When you turn a platform into a pedestal, you make an idol of a person. You put your trust in a person. You put your hope in a person. And you can't serve two gods. When you idolize one, you de-idolize God. So I get the tension. Jesus, or James, Jesus' half-brother says that the reason why we battle, the reason why we war with one another is because of the desires inside of us. It's not because of what they did or what's going on out there. The reason why we have battles and wars is because of what's going on inside us, that we want things that we don't have, but then also that we don't want to lose the things that we do have. And because we have these desires, we create teams. And because we create teams, we start battles. And every time you have battles, you have enemies. But it all starts from in here. So here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about names of people that you would say are on the other team right now. Right? Maybe you'd even call them enemies. In your head, name names. Even write it down if you need to. Name names. Not in the comment box. We're actually told all of our online hosts to like delete comments that are you know, hashtag one campaign or the other. All right, so we're not going to allow that. But don't, don't write in the comment box. Let me write on a piece of paper. Name names of people that you would say are on the other team or name names that you would maybe even consider your enemy right now or that person just ticks me off because of the, what they post about or what they comment on my posts, okay? So you have that person's name in your head? Okay, let me, let me read what Jesus said about how we handle people on the other teams, how we handle people that we consider enemies. Verse 43, Matthew 5, he says this. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Verse 44, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. Let me say that again. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, if you only love those who vote like you, if you only love those who agree on the same policies as you, if you only love those who do the same things and say the same things and believe the same things, go to the same rallies as you do, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're only kind to your friends, those of your tribe, how are you different than anybody else? Even pagans do that. He says, love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. So if we're supposed to live like Jesus, let's live like Jesus. And here's the thing. Whenever you actually want to live like Jesus, it's challenging. 
It feels impossible at times. It's extremely difficult. There are many times where it feels completely unnatural. If following Jesus for you is easy, I question whether you're following Jesus. Because when you're following Jesus, it bumps up against your own flesh often, daily, multiple times a day, where you want to do a certain thing because you have a right to it. But then Jesus goes, no, 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 put that down. Do this instead. Your enemy, you want to, I understand you want to say, I understand what they did to you. Love them. Pray for them. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to put down your own way. Pick up your cross and follow me. That's what he said. If you want to be my disciple, you have to put down your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. This is the process of discipleship. If you want to follow Jesus, the thing that you want, your way of doing things, put it down. Take up your cross. In other words, take up your execution device. Nail your will, your desires to the cross with Jesus and then follow him. What he's saying is do what you're about to see me do. They thought that he was speaking in a metaphor. When Jesus says take up your cross, that was a metaphor. They were about to see him in a few days actually go to the cross. And when he says follow me, he's saying do this too. See, our faith is not only lived when everything goes your way. Your faith is not only lived when your person gets elected and everything is going great and you're hashtag blessed. Your faith shines the brightest when things are the darkest. Most of the time, our faith is not lived in these high mountaintop moments. Most of the time, our faith is lived in that messy middle between our ideal reality and the reality we have to deal with. The ideal perfect reality and the actual reality that we need to deal with what our faith is living in that messy middle and so what jesus would do is he would talk about loving enemies he would actually tell stories about how the enemy was actually the hero of the story he would tell stories about you know those samaritans that you guys hate that you never do business with that you would hate if your son or daughter got married to you like you would cut them off you go around samaria you know those samaritans i'm going to tell you a story about how the samaritan is the actually the hero in the story and what jesus is saying is look, maybe you got the Samaritans wrong. Maybe you put them in a box and they're not what you think they are. And if you just would have a humble spirit and learn some names and got to know why they are the way they are, you would maybe find that they're friends. Find that you can learn from one another. So Jesus would talk about loving enemies. He would tell stories where the enemies would become the heroes. When Peter was like, what do you do with John? Jesus would go, if I, if I keep John alive till the day I come back, what's it to you? What are you going to do? We tell about our kids all the time because our kids are always like, well, what are you going to do with, with, with you know, my sister? And we always tell them, who should you worry about? Me. Who are you trying to worry about? Them. How's that working out for you? Bad. Same for you. Who are you worrying about? Who should you worry about? How's that working out for you? So when Jesus was wrongfully accused on multiple sides, from the nation of Israel, from the religious leaders there, from uh, the Roman leadership and the layers of leadership in between, the earthly leadership placed above him that were supposed to protect him, supposed to help him. They actually could have relieved the pain at any given moment. Both the Roman leadership and the Jewish leadership could have said, you know what, let's stop this. Let's release him. He's freed. But instead, that leadership placed above him hurt him. What do you do when the leadership above you doesn't help you but hurts you? Again, this is not a metaphor. This actually happened. What did Jesus do? 
Again, not a metaphor. What did Jesus actually do when leaders that were actually placed above him hurt him instead of helped him? What did he do? He prayed for them. He prayed for them. He modeled this. He, in the middle of being executed, he pastored those around him. He'd say, Mary, John is now your son. John, take care of Mary. Mary is now your mother. He would go to the soldier and pray for the soldier that was literally killing him. He would look to the, to the thief on his left that was being executed for a crime he did commit. And he said, took care of him in his dying moments. Today I'll see you in paradise. He was pastoring. He was love. See, you know who you are when you're squeezed, right? You want to know what's inside something? Squeeze it, right? It's like toothpaste. What's inside will come out. And when Jesus was squeezed, love came out, right? So the Bible says God is love. God isn't just love as a verb. God literally is love. And when, when he's crushed, love came out. What happens to your heart? What happens to you when you're squeezed? What happens to your heart when it's crushed? What comes out? That's not their fault. It's because that stuff is in your heart. So ultimately, Jesus prayed for his enemies. He pastored, and then he gave up his life. And you may look at that and go, well, he needed to do that because he was, he was a sacrificial lamb. Sure, but then here's the only thing. His disciples did the same thing. And then hundreds of his followers did the same thing. And then thousands of Christians in the early church did the same thing. Why? Because they decided that they were going to be followers of Christ. And they put down their own way. And they loved their enemies. And they prayed for them. Even if it meant giving up their lives. So, they did that because they were followers of Jesus. So here's my question to you. Are you? Are you? Are you a follower of Christ? Or are you a follower of culture? And if you are a follower of Christ, live like it. Live like it. Just live as if that's true. Or just don't call yourself a Christian. Here's my challenge to you. Write down the names of the people that tick you off right now. Write them down. Again, not in the comment box, but write them down where you can see them, maybe in a private note on your phone, okay? Write the names down that even when you think about their name, when you picture their Facebook profile, your blood pressure literally goes up. Those names. Write them down. And then here's my challenge to you. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that God would bless them. Pray that God would give them a promotion. Pray that they would have a thriving relationship with him. Pray for them in a way that you would want someone to pray for you. Pray even that God would develop in you a love for them, that you would love them as God, their creator, loves them. I mean, if you want to actually live for Jesus, and that's what I challenge you to do. Now, here's the thing. As for creating social change, because so much of the uh, frustration uh, going on right now in our culture is around social justice and what one side believes social justice should be and the fear of that social justice not happening. Both sides are, are, are living this way. So here's my challenge to you. Don't just post and comment about it. Don't just uh, share stuff on social media about these social justice things. Act. Donate to causes you believe in. Volunteer. It's amazing that people will like and comment and say amen 
when we talk about certain values, but when we ask people, hey, here's an opportunity to volunteer. Here's an opportunity to give financially towards that. Quiet. Crickets. Crickets. So here's a challenge. I just want, I want to highlight because I realize many people that call a voice home are pro-life. And I think that's amazing. But if you're pro-life and you vote pro-life and you put that up there as a major priority in your life, then I have an opportunity for you. We're going to tell you more about the specifics in upcoming weeks. But you know that we support organizations like Young Lives, which support and partner and encourage teen parents in our communities right here in Orange County. That these brave 16, 17-year-olds decided because the values instilled in them that they carried this child to birth because they said, this life matters. Okay, but now they need our support, right? So we partner with them, these brave teenagers. And we have an opportunity to donate like we had before. We have an opportunity to support them and serve them at a monthly club. If you want to be a part of that, please let us know. We'd love to get you connected with them. They're an amazing organization. But we're about to do some sponsorship opportunities next month. We'll tell you more about But here's the thing. If you say yes and amen to pro-life, but you aren't willing to volunteer, if you aren't willing to serve, if you aren't willing to give financially to actually help these young teen brave parents, then can I be totally honest? You're not pro-life. You're pro-birth. Because if you're pro-life, then we would support these lives after birth. Just putting it out there. Look, as a church, there are a lot of opportunities to affect social change. Maybe something around you're passionate about, maybe something that you're not passionate about. But if there's something that sparks something in your heart when we talk about it, can I challenge you? Volunteer. Support them financially. One of the things that I do want to put on your radar is the very last offering every year. So last weekend in December, the entire offering goes to local and global organizations that we believe in. We give away thousands and thousands of dollars in that offering. So I ask you, save up right now to give the biggest gift you ever could. We pay all the credit card processing fees so that we can give as much money to these organizations that we believe in around the world. So put your money where your mouth is. You believe in these causes, we'll let you know the organizations ahead of time. If you believe in these organizations, then support them. If you don't support them, you don't believe in them. So, yes, that's the phone call. <laughs> but we're going to talk about that stuff more another time. Today, we're talking about the battle of our hearts. We're talking about the battle of our hearts. We're going to talk about the stuff out there later. We're, today, we're talking about the battle of our hearts. Are we willing to follow Jesus and represent him well? Are you and I willing to follow Jesus and actually represent him well? When Jesus was in, the, was in the Garden of Gethsemane, one of the last time he prayed over his disciples, Jesus didn't pray for our sameness. He knew they were all totally different. They had different strengths, different weaknesses, different values somewhat. Jesus didn't pray for our, our sameness. He prayed for our oneness. He said, Father, would they be one as you and I are one? Would they be one as you and I are one? I think Jesus is looking down on his church, those that call Christ uh, your Lord. He's looking down on us and going, 
Would you make them one? Would you make them one? Because they're divided right now. Maybe God would so put on your heart that there's, some, there's somebody you've dismissed that you need to reach out to. You need to text or call. You need to apologize. You need to reconcile. Because just like any parent hates it when their kids are fighting, I think God hates it when his kids are fighting. A divided nation needs a united church. And our, our nation is so divided right now. Church, what we need to be the picture of, what the communion table needs to represent is people of all different nations, all different tongues, all different belief systems coming together under the, na the name of Jesus. That if any group of people can show unity in the midst of diversity, it should be the church. It has to be the church. And guys, we can do better. We can do better. So if you want to take the challenge up, here's the challenge again. Write down the names of the person you consider to be your enemy or the closest thing you got to it. The person you unfollowed on Facebook or muted on Instagram. The person when you think of their name, it makes your blood boil. That person. Would you take five minutes today and pray for them? Pray for them. It's going to be hard. It's going to be through gritted teeth. But see if God doesn't change your heart. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I just thank you for your patience. Thank you for your patience. I know I need it. I've said so many stupid things I, I, I didn't mean to, or maybe I meant it at the moment, but in hindsight, man, I needed, I needed grace and I needed love and I needed forgiveness. God, will we extend that for others too? Would love cover? Would grace cover? Would we have such a, a heart of humility, not of arrogance? And ultimately, God, would people see your character clearly by the way we live? God, would people see our actions and understand what God is like? We've made you look angry. We've made you look short-sighted. We've made you look cocky. And for that, we repent, God. We want people to see your character clearly through us. Give us your grace to do it. We need a supernatural ability to love like you do. In Jesus' name, amen.